Business and Buckets, episode 77, coming right at you on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Pacific Northwest. Just shredded 50 inches of fresh powder in Mount Baker yesterday up by the Canadian border. Holy cow, what a day. In April, 50 inches. How to take that PTO, baby. That's the perks of, of corporate America, I guess. Unlimited PTO now. How to take the day off. Shred the mountain, and what a day it was. Thought I'd just stroll in there on an easy Tuesday. No traffic, and there was probably a couple thousand people there looking at the same snowstorm that I did. 50 inches in 48 hours, over 65 inches since the weekend, and it was a blast. But uh, those pow days are kind of a full-body workout. Weird back muscles, neck muscles, where you're getting thrown around a little bit. Uh, feeling a little rambunctious, hitting some big jumps into the pow. Uh, gets you ragdolled a little bit, but I, I had gone on Sunday as well um, to Crystal Mountain, uh, potentially the last day skiing in Washington as I'm planning on moving to uh, Phoenix, Arizona this November. So uh, got some good days in, but guess what that means? Ski season's over. We got opening day tomorrow. I can't freaking wait. As an Angels fan, you just hope you just hope you can see the two players in baseball enter the postseason. Uh, a guy that plays elite at both positions, Mr. Otani as a, a starting pitcher, uh, a guy who could play outfield, who's fast on the base passes, base pass, cranks 400 plus feet, home runs. I mean, uh, uh, America's sport, right? They say America's pastime. You got to get those guys in the playoffs. You got to get the spice in baseball back. Because uh, for those of you that aren't baseball fans, you're missing out. There's so much great talent. You know, you got Thor into the lineup now for the Angels. We're talking MLB season predictions today. We got UFC back this weekend. We got Supercross back this weekend. But before we talk sports, you know, oh, we had the, the Final Four, the championship on Monday, some big-time events for sports fans, and boy, do I love it. So we'll talk my takes. But before we do sports... Let's talk fueled and supplements, uh, fueled supplements. You know, the Business at Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by fueled supplements. If you're an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, fueled supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Uh, use my promotion code buckets for 15% off at fueledsupplements.com. Once again, promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, episode 77, we're getting close to 100, cranking out that talent. We're going to go MMA specific. We're going to rebrand the business side. Lots of amazing things happening here at Business and Buckets. But we got a big UFC card, 273 happened this weekend. Two titles on the line, some very big odds. If some of you guys are trying to ride the dogs, some some gambling sharks. We could, there's opportunity to make money. So I'll talk my picks where I'm putting my money. And also some fights have been announced. So I love me some Phil Haas. Love to see this guy in the octagon. The style he brings is must-see TV. He's taking on Darren Wynn. So obviously going to be tuning into that. Uh, Devin Clark taking on William Knight. William Knight boosted his stock after his last performance. The post-fight interviews were, uh, went viral. Some really cool things happening for William Knight. Uh, Julian Marquez taking on Wellington Terman. That'll be a great bout of two young up-and-comers in that division. 
Uh, for this week's card, Alir Latifi had gotten pulled out against Alexi Olenek. Insert Jared Vandera. Uh, but either way, we'll, we'll break down that fight. But uh, lots of changes in the fights in uh, the next few upcoming cards. Zabi Mago uh, Medov. Uh, I, I murdered that, I think. Let me make sure. Mago Med Sharipov. However you want to say that, we'll call him Zabit. We all do as, as fight fans. Calling him Zabit. He's back. It has been a long, long layoff. Let's see how long it's been. I mean, I didn't know if he'd ever fight in the, in the UFC again. You know, he's 31 years old in his fighting prime. Hasn't fought since November of 2019. You know, the pandemic, visa issues, COVID issues, lots of things happening. But he is back against the man that we wanted him to fight. The stylistic matchup that fight fans cannot ignore. We got Zabit taking on Yair Rodriguez. Woo! I mean, are you kidding me? That is going to be a fight of the year contestant potential. Um, everyone's going to be just, just on the edge of their seat seeing Zabit back in action. And you look at the past few Yair fights. I mean, fight of the year candidates. So... Um, um, really, really, really excited to see that fight come up. We got Kyle Dacus taking on Roman Delizzi. That'll be a great fight. Joaquin Buckley taking on Abusupian Magomedov. Buckley, known for the viral knockout a couple years ago. I mean, just a few of these guys announced are must-see TV. Phil Haas, William Knight, Julian Marquez, Zabit, Yair, Kyle Dacus, Buckley, Wild set of fights coming up this summer. And uh, the Zabit fight supposed to happen on the International Fight Week main pay-per-view card. My 30th birthday celebration. Can't wait. Can't wait. Gotta love the MMA god sometimes. In other news, Ben Rothwell released from the UFC. Uh, Big Ben had quite a career. You know, lots of quality victories. So uh, Big Ben leaves Pittsburgh. Big ben, ben leaves the MMA world as well. Outside of the UFC, Tyson Fury and uh, Dylan White is setting a record for expanded capacity at $94,000 at Wembley. Wild, wild situation as this is supposedly Fury's last fight. This uh, Saturday, Ryan Garcia taking on Emmanuel Tago, who's 32-1 with 15 knockouts. And then uh, a Bellator card that we'll talk a little bit about is uh, next week, happening next Saturday. So not only do we get a fight card, if you're a Ryan Garcia fan, I know I am. He'll be, ha he'll be uh, uh, back in the, the ring this, this weekend. And then this Friday, if you are a diehard MMA fan, you know, once I go strictly MMA, we'll start talking more LFA, maybe some bare knuckle and some other promotions, you know, some uh, PFL, one championship, Bellator. Uh, but this Friday, my guy from Wyoming, one of Wyoming's uh, wrestling elite Bryce Meredith is taking on his second MMA bout against Jay Viola, who is three and three. And this will be a catchweight bout at 140 pounds. I'm assuming this is because Bryce didn't get his opponent until recently. So the guy had to take short notice. I guess the guy with only one MMA fight, uh, obviously wrestling background. So they get the, the 140 catch pound, uh, catchweight bout. Now, UFC 273, let's break it down. Starting in the early prelims, we have Alexi, the boa constrictor, Olenek, 44-year-old fighter with a 59-16-1 record, taking on Jared Vandera, who's 29 years old with a 12-7 record. 
Now, there were a few changes for this fight, but Vandera stepped up to the plate. Mad respect. You know, that's never an easy thing to, to do. Um, obviously, in, uh, the big boys don't have to worry so much about a weight cut. Uh, but Alexi has, has a background in combat sambo with an international sports uh, in combat sambo. He's got a fourth degree black belt in jujitsu, a black belt in BJJ. And he trains out of American Top Team. He is a Bellator alum, and he is on a three-fight losing streak. I mean, the guy has got 50, 60, 76 professional fights, is 44 years old, obviously well-decorated, and back at it. He is on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since May of 2020, so trying to potentially finish that career on a high note. And 46 of his 59 wins are via submission. That's some out-of-this-world out numbers for a big guy. Now, Jared... He's also a black belt in BJJ. He is on a skid of himself. He's got a two-fight losing streak. And seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. Again, heavyweights, we already usually know what the results are going to be here. But Alexi, a guy who is very good on the ground, he does get it to the ground. He'll look to ca uh, capitalize. This is going to be an interesting fight early on. But I am going to take the younger and tough Vandera in this fight. Um, I'm not really putting this into parlay consideration. There's plenty of fights. But a fight that's noteworthy, a fight worth talking about, right? I usually pick the fights that I'm somewhat well-versed in the fighters, right? Something that's intriguing to me, a fight that I want to watch, right? I'm going to be in Portland this weekend to watch the Jazz in Portland for the end of the season, see if they could get some momentum into the postseason. I'm not going to be able to catch all these fights, but I'm going to buy the pay-per-view, right? I could come back and watch it. This is a fight you got to watch. Um... This was a fight that was actually going to be in the early prelims, but due to some mixed matchings of fighters pulling out, we actually have uh, this fight moving to the main card, but we'll break it down in this order. We got Vince from Hell Pichel. What a nickname and what a, what a name phrase there. 39 years old with a 14-2 and record, taking on Mark the Olympian Madsen, 37 years old, clean record 11-0, and uh, so this is going to be a fun one. You know, Vince, he's an orthodox fighter. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum, one of the OG Ultimate Fighter guys. Can't forget him if you're an Ultimate Fighter fan. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, this is Mark's fourth fight in the UFC. He trains at a fight ready. He has a background in a silver medal in Greco-Roman wrestling. And three of his 11 wins are in the UFC. Now, this is an interesting fight of completely different MMA stories, but I like the Olympian here. I believe he isn't very high level when it comes to striking, but he will grind out Pichel, tire him out, get the victory. So I'm taking Mark. He's the underdog. Let's, let's confirm and make sure this is still the case. I couldn't believe he's the underdog here. You know, a guy that's older, very well versed in uh, wrestling and grappling. But doesn't have a ton of MMA experience. So I could see why the odds makers have, have him as the underdog. But this is easy money to cash in. You know, I'm just seeing dollar signs right here. They move to the main card. Yeah. Vince Michelle minus 130. Mark Madsen plus 110. Get the money out. Get the dogs out. We're putting them on the parlay. Um, I think, uh, you know, these guys are in completely different situations. But I don't believe Vince Pichel is very high, high level at specific things. And we do know that Mark Madsen's high level at grappling, wrestling, 
and he's got a, a pretty impressive gas tank at 37. You know, Vince isn't a spring chicken at 39. So I think he'll grind out Bichelle, tire him out, maybe even get a submission. But we're putting him on the parlay. We're marking him down, and we're getting that bread. Now, moving on to the prelims. We got Mickey Gall, 30 years old, with a 7-4 and four record, taking on Mike the Proper Malo, 30 years old, 1-0 and in MMA. So he's, he's very fresh. I was surprised to see that Gall is the underdog here in this one as well. Let's confirm and make sure that that's still the case. He, is, he still is. Impressive. Um, I was surprised to see he was the underdog. Um, Mike is making his UFC debut after a Dana White Contender Series victory. So just getting that contract, looking to make an impression. And Mickey is a, somewhat of a bigger name for, for someone making you know a UFC debut. When we look at Mickey, he has a background in boxing, BJJ, Muay Thai, and wrestling. So well-versed. He does have a black belt in BJJ a blue band in Muay Thai, and he is one and two in his last three fights. Now, six of his seven wins are via submission. Meanwhile, Mike trains out of Alpha Male, great gym, lots of competition. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and four of his seven wins are via submission. This will be an interesting match where I think two guys that are, are, are good on the ground look to outstrike each other. Um, I think Mickey has to win this fight, though, the way, the way his past few fights have rolled out. I don't think he could lose to a guy making the UFC debut if he wants to stay in the UFC. I'm sure he understands that. His striking's looked a little bit better of late, and he's only 30 years old, right? In the UFC, we had talked about the fighting prime being right around probably 31 to 35 for a lot of guys because it takes so long to get to where you need to go. So, you know, Mickey, a guy that you could easily count out, he loses his fight, might not be in the UFC much longer, wins this fight in spectacular fashion. He's getting back on track in his prime and could have a great uh, great career. That's just how it is in the MMA. One fight could really set your situation in a completely different path. And for Mickey, I think he understands that. I'm taking Mickey. I'm putting him on my parlay. We got an underdog parlay coming. I'm telling you what. Uh, we marking him down. And we getting that bread. Now, on the women's side of things, we have Aspen Ladd. 27 years old with a 9-2 and two record. And the number 4 next to her name taking on Raquel Rocky Pennington, 33 years old with a 13-9 and record and the number seven next to her name. Now, Raquel Pennington stepped into this fight after Irene Aldana pulled out. So, you know, it wasn't just this week. It's been a little while, but still a short-notice fight. And really, this is a hot prospect taking on a rolling vet, so it's going to be a, a fun one for sure. Aspen has a background in boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, and BJJ. She does have a purple belt in BJJ. She is an Invicta alum, and she has lost two of her last three. She has had a two-year break after tearing her ACL and MCL, and she struggles to make weight. Definitely had been a, a situation, and she's had some canceled bouts because of it, but six of her nine wins are via knockout. Now, Raquel is an Invicta alum, as well as an Ultimate Fighter alum. She's on a three-fight winning streak going 2-0 in, the, in 2021. She has faced a stiffer level of competition on her resume than Aspen. And she has beat some really good names. Now, Aspen, if she does make weight, will make this a close fight. But I'm going to go with the vet that has momentum, as I think she will make to look this, make to look this fight dirty, 
grind out loud after the weight cut, especially if she's been struggling. I'm going to put her on my parlay. We're marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Now to the big boys. Speaking of big boys, we got Jarzinho, biggie boy, Rosenstrike, the 34-year-old fighter with a 12-3 and record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Marcin Tibir, Tibera, the 36-year-old fighter with a 22-7 and record and the number 10 next to his name. Now, I'm not excited about this fight as a, as a lot of the others, but it's still a high-quality fight, two ranked guys in the heavyweight division. I think Biggie Boy lands a big shot here, no pun intended, and gets the lights out. Now, Tibera, he's a tough vet. He is very talented, especially on the ground. So if he can get it there, you never know. But looking at it, Jarzinho has a kickboxing background. He trains out of ATT. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but has beat a lot of good fighters and has only lost to Nganu, Gain, and Blades. Wow, like three tough losses against three high, high-level heavyweights, best in the world. And 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout, so he throws some hands as well. Now, Tibera is a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak but was on a five-fight winning streak. Nine of his 22 wins are via knockout, and four of his seven losses are via knockout as well. I don't expect this one to go to the, dis- to go to the distance. I'm taking Jarzinho. I'm putting him on that parlay, and we get in that bread. Now, the big hyped prospect, Ian, the future Gary, 24 years old with an 8-0 record, taking on Darian Weeks, who's 28 years old. A little bit of a different record, an 0-1. Now, we'll really see if Ian is the future, because to be the future, you have to win this fight. I think this is really just the, you know, the experience bout for the young prospect to build his MMA resume, but you fight for a reason, right? Ian, he trains out of Sanford MMA with straight dogs in that gym. He is a very hyped prospect, He's trying to get the Ireland pole like Conor McGregor. Uh, One of his eight wins are in the UFC. Five of his eight wins are via knockout. And he does have a two and a half inch reach advantage in this fight. While Darian, he's on a one fight losing streak. His UFC debut coming from the LFA. And four of his five wins are via knockout. Now on the main card, obviously it starts with Madsen and Pichel. A little, little late adjustment there. But then we have a banger of a fight. To be granted, the rest of the fights are bangers. But this one is a close, close, close fight. We have Mackenzie Dern. You know, beautiful Dern. You know, no disrespect. Just, you know, future wifey. No, she's she's married, has a kid. But, um, you know, she is what she is. She's 29 with an 11-2 and two record and the number five next to her name. Taking on Tisha, the tiny tornado Torres, 32 years old with a 13 and five record and the number seven next to her name. Now, this is going to be a fun fight. Both fighters are very well-rounded, sharp. They're in their prime. I feel like the women's prime is a little younger than the men's because, you know, if you want to go through women's MMA, it's not like a crazy circuit like the men. You have talent. You can get to the UFC a little quicker. Now, Torres has a background in Taekwondo, Muay Thai, Karate, and BJJ. She trains out of American Top Team. 
She has black belts in karate and taekwondo. She's got a blue belt in BJJ. She is an Invicta and Ultimate Fighter alum, one of the OGs. She's on a three-fight winning streak, and she has fought the best women in her weight class and has failed at a title run, so win here puts her back in position. Mackenzie has a, a BJJ background with a black belt in BJJ. She is a Legacy FC and Invicta alum. She's on a one-fight losing streak to Marina Rodriguez after a very impressive four-fight winning streak, and that was a great fight. She wasn't really known as a very good striker, but she's really, really improved in that department, improved a lot further and faster than I thought she would. And she's obviously very, very well decorated in BJJ. I mean, she's one of the best female BJJ artists. She had a gold in the ADC, like the mecca of all golds in the ADCC World Championships in 2015. She's got gold in Nogi, European, Asian, Worlds, Pretty much every different place you can get a gold, she's got it. Seven of her 11 wins are via submission, and she does have a two and a half inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, I've gone back and forth. I just think Tisha has more MMA experience and is such a high class striker that she'll win by decision here. Now, McKenzie gets a takedown, does a little bit of dirty boxing. You know, things will really get interesting really quick. But Tisha, she's a tiny tornado for a reason. It's not easy to get take her down. If Dern does get this win, she is right back in the mix of title contention as well. And she needs a big name to add to her resume. And this is her chance. I am going to take Tisha, though. I am putting her on that parlay. And we get in that bread. Now, the fight that I, you know, the women's side, definitely the Tisha fight. But this is the fight for me. And the odds are astronomical. We got Gilbert Durino Burns, 35 years old, with a 20-4 and record, and the number two next to his name, taking on Kamzat Boers Chemaev, 27 years old, with a 10-0 and record, and the number 11 next to his name. Now, this has been all about Kamzat here but I really do think that Gilbert is going to show how human Shemayev is. How, how human Shemayev is. Gilbert is so well-rounded and has only lost to Kamaru since 2018. He is very, very high-level wrestler and grappler, and his striking has gotten there over the past few years. You know, he's 35, which is on the later part of your prime, but this is definitely, you know, Burns is the best version of himself today, in my opinion. Now, um, I think this is definitely the fight I'm most excited for. But if Kamzat gets this win, clearly probably going to skip the rest of the division for a title shot. He gets the title. He'll probably be the most hyped fighter in MMA and UFC, in my opinion. But we're about to learn. So Gilbert, he's clearly got a background in BJJ as he's a third degree black belt in BJJ. He trains out of Sanford MMA as well. He's placed third at ADCC Worlds in 2013. So as high level as Gilbert is, he only got a third place finish. Mackenzie's gotten that gold. That's how high level she is as well. He's won in no gi, gi, IBJJF. He's on a one fight winning streak after losing to Kamaru. And eight of his 20 wins are via submission and six by knockout. Two of his four losses are via knockout. Now, 
Kamzat, he's got a wrestling background. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. He has a golden Swedish freestyle wrestling nationals, multiple of them. He was the 2020 breakout fighter of the year in most outlets. Four of his 10 wins are in the UFC and six of his 10 wins are via knockout. But this is a huge step up in competition for the hottest prospect in the UFC. He has a four inch reach advantage against Gilbert. Now, no UFC fan who has been watching Kamzat only in the UFC like myself really knows how good he is. He's been impressive, but the jump from a Li Jingling to Gilbert Burns is also massive. And that's where I think he will get tested. Can he win this fight? Sure. At the odds, am I putting money on Burns? You best believe it. I'm going to go with the experienced bulletproof fighter here. I mean, I'm saying bulletproof because his one loss since he's been hot is Camaro, who is like GSP status. That's a once-in-a-generation type talent. So I think he gets the win. I am not putting him on a parlay, but I am going to put him on an underdog parlay for a little bit of change, and I'll be tweeting that at Twitter Buckets. I always tweet my picks, my parlays. You want to learn? You could tune in. Um, but I'm taking Gilbert, and I'm confident in doing that. We'll, we'll, we'll see if I have to confess my and apologize next week. Now, for one of the title fights, we get the rematch. Aljamain, the funk master Sterling, 32 years old with a 20-3 and record, taking on Pewter, no mercy on, 29 years old with a 16-2 and record. Now, honestly, in this situation, Pewter and Aljo know how the f- first fight went, how, how it was on pace to end, and... In my opinion, I think majority of combat sports is mental. You can be athletic. Everyone's in great shape. You have your different disciplines and your strengths. But if you don't think you could win or you've been smothered and defeated by an opponent, there's that mental aspect to it. Aljo, from what I've seen on the MMA Hour, on the Embeddeds, he is very, very confident. But I believe he is also kind of masking how he feels. It seems a little fake to me. Aljo is unique. Really, really unique when it comes to his wrestling. I mean, his nickname is the Funk Master because of his unique style and grappling. He's going to have to get Pewter down in the first three rounds. He's going to have to attempt to get his back in this fight, but I'm not betting on it. First fight, he came out guns a-blazing, lots of strikes, takedown attempts, and it just emptied his gas tank. I don't know if there's any fighter in the MMA that could continue that pace. So he had his moments, but he, he, he just went real far out. You know, those five-round fights are a little different. I will throw a little bit of cash on Aljo as the dog. I am taking Pewter in this fight, but I'm not going to put him on the parlay. Breaking it down, Aljo has a D3 wrestling background at Cortland. He was a, t- a two-time champion. He trains with the Sarah Longo fight team. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a six-fight winning streak, even though the Yon, their last fight, it was a DQ victory. Because the illegal knee. Eight of his 20 wins are via submission. He took time off after the disqualification to get neck surgery. They were supposed to fight earlier. It got delayed because of recovery. And he does have a four-inch reach advantage here. Now, Pewter, he trains out of Tiger Muay Thai. He's a master of sport and MMA. A blue belt in BJJ. And sadly, he's on a one-fight winning streak after the DQ. But he did get a fight. A very good Sanhagen. 
Um, and that DQ against Aljo cost him his 10-fight winning streak. But seven of his 16 wins are via knockout. And I'm just really interested to see how Aljo changes up, changes up his game plan. Right? He wasn't able to get Pewter down, keep him down. He gassed out in the third round of a five-round fight. You know, what is he going to do to change? Does he just look to grapple even harder and not go crazy on the striking? Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because Aljo's done some crazy stuff. Like get Corey Sanhagen's back in a matter of seconds and tap him out. That's some unheard shit of a very high-level fighter. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited, but I'm going to take Pewter, and I'm going to do a, a underdog parlay with Mr. Aljamain. Now, moving on to the to the main event of the evening. And what a fighter this man is, and I just feel like he doesn't get enough credit. We get Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, 33 years old, with a 23-1 record. Ex-rugby player, you gotta love it. He's taken on Chan Sung Jun, the Korean motherfucking zombie, 35 years old, with a 17 and 6 record and the number 4 next to his name. Well, why is he fighting a number 4 guy? Well, Volkanovski's literally cleaned house in the division. That is why. Now, the Korean Zombie, he's been training with Henry Cejudo, like a lot of other fighters, and the Fight Ready team to prep for this fight. I do think that helps, but I don't believe it's going to be enough here. Volkanovski has literally cruised his way through the competition besides Max Holloway, I'll give him the first. I debatably thought Max won the second. I hope there's a third. And the guillotine attempt from Brian Ortega was the real deal. But he got out of it. He be- he was the better fighter than Ortega, clearly. But Ortega's he's, he's getting better. Now, the Korean zombie is deadly. But I think he has passed his prime. And he's going to have to land a big, big shot that could put his lights out. Which, if those other guys can't put his lights out, I don't know how he's going to do that. But that's the only way I see him getting this win is by a finish and and knockout. When we look at Chan, he's an orthodox fighter. He has a third degree Don black belt in Hapkido, a second Don black belt in Taekwondo, a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in Judo. I mean, this guy is very, very well versed. He is a WEC veteran. He's had fight of the years, submission of the years. I mean, he's very, very fun to watch. This is going to be fun for fight fans. He is on a one-fight winning streak. He actually lost to Brian Ortega, who had Vulcan beat. And eight of his 17 wins are via submission, six of them by knockout. Now, Alexander Volkanovsky trains out of city kickboxing. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He's on a 20-fight winning streak with 10 of them in the UFC. And 11 of his 23 wins are via knockout. I think this could play out to be a very fun fight, but I do ex- expect Volk to outpoint him and win this champ style. I don't expect him to want to have big exchanges with the Korean zombie because that's what they're preparing for. Maybe he looks to grapple the Korean zombie, but I do think Volk's going to take this. I am confident enough to put it in my parlay as long as it doesn't, you know, the odds are pretty bad. It might lower your money, but if it doesn't, we marking that ish down and we get in that bread. What a card. What a card. Next weekend, we got more action. You know how the UFC rolls. We had one week off. We relaxed. We got our snowboarding in, whatever you were doing. And now we get a fight night card, a 2 p.m. Pacific main card start. So an early start card. 
headlined by Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad, but it's not an ex- extremely deep card. Moving on to the NBA. Shit is getting real. I've been saying that for the past few weeks, but now every little thing matters. For the Nets, Ben Simmons is officially out throughout the play-in game, potentially can get into the first round, so that'll be interesting. I was talking to one of my friends like, well, do you even want Ben Simmons in the rotation at this point? And if you do, do you say, hey, unless you have Point Blake dunks and layups, just play defense and give the ball to Kyrie and uh, to, to KD? I'm not sure. I'm really just interested around the drama around it, to be honest. The Bucks are officially signing Spanish League MVP Luca Vildoza. So interesting, you don't see a lot of those signings, but they they think highly of him, potentially add to the lineup. Lonzo Ball officially shut down for the season with complications in the meniscus recovery. Tough news for the Bulls in the playoffs. But the Clippers getting good news with Norman Powell coming back. That could be a huge, huge uplift. They'll probably be in a um, the 8-9 play, or 9-10 play-in game. So you get him in, you win, you have an opportunity at the 8 seed. Obviously, that means you're playing the Suns, but hey, it gives you a better chance. Maybe uh, randomly the clock comes back. No, that won't happen probably. Officially, the NBA salary cap expected to increase by $27 million because all these guys need some more shmoney. And then we had the Hall of Fame inductees, Bob Huggins. Got to love you some Bob Huggins at West Virginia. George Carl. Tim Hardaway, a fan favorite. Manu Ginobili, a guy who just slayed during the early years of my NBA fandom. And Swin Cash for the WNBA, into the Hall of Fame. Golf claps for them. You know, obviously in my lifetime, Ginobili was that guy. The Spurs were that squad. Popovich was the GOAT, right? Now, I did a little NBA power rankings before the playoffs. When I do this power ranking, it's just who do I think is the best contending teams in the NBA? How do they stack up? But really, in my opinion, you're looking at five teams that are true contenders to the rest. So the top five are those contenders in my book. And debatably, just you know, for the sake of real contending, I would only say four of them. I would exclude the Grizzlies as a true contender. I think they're a little early on in the process. Uh, they've, you know really overperformed and really overseeded expectations. So I really do think it comes down to four teams. Number one in the power rankings, we have the Suns. I have the Miami Heat as number two. The previous championship Bucks three. And the power rankings right now, just based off who's hot, right? The Nets have a lot of drama. That's why the Grizzlies are ranked at four. But I do think the Nets are still a contender at five. Then we have Celtics six. Sixers seven, Warriors eight, Mavericks nine, Mavs or Jazz ten. The Warriors can be higher if there is indeed a healthy Steph Curry in the playoffs, but that's just kind of too. There's too many unknowns there. Going eleven through twenty, we got Nuggets, Raptors, Timberwolves thirteen. I like them a little bit better than the Bulls fourteen, Clippers fifteen. Lakers 16, the non-playoff Lakers. Can you believe it? Uh, Hornets 17, Hawks 18, Cavs 19, Pelicans 20. And rounding out the bottom 30, 
We got Spurs, Wizards, Knicks, Kings, Pistons at 25, Pacers 26, Magic 27, Thunder 28, Rockets 29, Blazers 30. You know, the Blazers have been in take mode for quite some time. They haven't even put Simons into the rotation. Um, they're, they're literally going for a high pick at this point. That's why they're 30 is because they're starting a lot of guys that would not even touch their typical rotation. But now that we got that out of the way, I mean, looking at the standings, whoo-wee, things are interesting. Things are coming down to the wire. You know, as I speak with you today, it is Wednesday afternoon. We'll talk about the games left in the week. But really what it comes down to is the two, three, and four spot in the East is the biggest storyline for me now that the Lakers are officially DQ'd. I thought they'd make a little bit better run, but LeBron didn't come back. It is what it is. Boston, Milwaukee, and the Sixers all with the same record. Boston at the two, Milwaukee at the three, Sixers at the four. In this situation, the Nets are eight right now with two very winnable games, so I don't see them dropping lower than eight, which means the winner of seven and eight gets the seven seed. It looks like the Cavs are locked in at seven, so I believe that the Nets will beat the Cavs, who they play, I believe, tonight. Let's see. Today is the sixth. Nope, they play on Friday, so they'll be playing right before a hypothetical play-in game. That puts the Nets as a seven seed. So we have three teams running for the second, knowing the same things I know, that this is probably going to be the 2v7. Hey, here's your two seed, and now here is KD and Kyrie Irving. Nobody wants to deal with that. Believe me. Believe that. But the, the, the Celtics have all three games on the road at Chicago, at Milwaukee, at Memphis. Even if they do put their starting lineup in, that is a brutal, brutal final stretch. So what are these teams' perspective? Do I keep my players healthy, give some other guys more rotational minutes? If we win, we win. If we don't, you know, whatever. Because let's say you, you slip to the three seed, you're playing most likely Chicago, potentially Toronto. And if you get the four seed, you home court advantage against Toronto. I would way rather have the situation. So we're going to learn a lot. Let's see. Tonight we got Nets in action against the Knicks, Celtics against the Bulls. So those two lineups are going to tell us a ton of information about what's popping. So that'll be interesting. Looking at the Bucks schedule, their final games are one at home, two on the road, at home against Boston tomorrow, at Detroit, at Cleveland. Those are winning, winnable games. They could win potentially all three of them, especially at home. The Thursday game is the TNT doubleheader, but it's all going to depend on lineups. The Sixers round out with at Toronto, home against the Pacers, home against Detroit. They could very well get the two seed if they want winning that out. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to be interesting. You know, if I were to take a stab at it, I think Boston tries to get out of there. I think Boston ends up with the three or four. Milwaukee gets the two. Yeah, so um, that would put probably... Bucks versus Nets. They already beat the Nets. They're not that afraid. Celtics versus Bulls. And we'll go Sixers, Raptors. That's my guess. But it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. It's all about matchups in the NBA. This year is more open than it's ever been. When we look at other situations, we also have the battle of 
potentially the four and five seed with Jazz Mavericks, but I'm going to just assume the Mavericks get that. I'm pretty unconfident about the Utah Jazz these days, sadly. The Jazz are also right there with the Nuggets, so they could fall into the sixth spot. When we look at the Utah's final look at Utah's final schedule, they're playing back to back tonight in Utah. They played the Grizz last night, one in overtime. Mitchell, no Mitchell, no Conley. They're taking on the Thunder though. Thunder are putting like their B B B minus squad in, and then you have at home against Phoenix, which they could very easily easily be resting, and then at Portland. I believe Utah does try to win those games. Denver, in the meantime is at home against Memphis and the Lakers. You know, LeBron's out. Does he even want to play? I I don't know. Pretty winnable games for Denver as well. You know, Memphis has clearly got the two seed locked in. They were very competitive against the Jazz last night. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the theories are. I hope all the teams just play their guys, but that's not going to be the case. This is the NBA we're talking about. But I'm just going to say that the Jazz get the five seed right behind Dallas. So we're talking Mavs, Jazz with Mavs having home court. I might fly out to one of those games. Uh, We'll we'll be talking Warriors, Nuggets. No MPJ, no Jamal Murray, potentially no Steph Curry. That makes that very interesting. And then we have in the the play-ins, it looks like it's going to be Clippers, Timberwolves to get the seven seed. At this moment, I would take the Timberwolves, which puts that against the, the, the Grizz. And then most likely probably the Pelicans taking on the Suns in round one. So some interesting stuff, things to shake out. But let's talk about what's happened in the past week. Last Thursday, the Pistons beating the Sixers, a team that played their starting lineup, 102-94 in Detroit. Pistons have been hot a little bit lately. Let's see how hot. In their last 10... They're 5-5, five and five. but for the Pistons, five wins the last time, it's not bad. The Sixers were led by Joel Embiid, who had 37-15. and 15. James Harden had 18-9-7, but on 15 shots. And the Pistons were led by Cade Cunningham, 27-6, 0-3 from 3, uh, and that was on 20 shots. And Sadiq Bey chipped in 20 on 18 shots as well. So not very efficient lines from the Pistons, but they got the dub. The Bucks beating the Nets... And Brooklyn, in overtime, again, I don't think the Bucs are really scared of the Nets. Did I take the Nets against the Bucs last year in the playoffs? I damn right did, and I damn right got it wrong, and I damn well lost some cheddar doing it. But the Bucs were led by the Greek fucking freak, 44-14-6. He was 1-4 from three. He's trying. The Nets were led by Kyrie, who had 25 on 22 shots. And KD, you had 26 and 11 and 7 on 21 shots. So not super efficient line from the Nets either, but the Bucks play good defense. The Hawks beat the Cavaliers in ATL, 131 to 107. They were led by Trey Young, Ice Trey with 30 and 9. Very efficient, 4 of 9 on ni- uh, from 3, and that was on 19 shots. And Cleveland was led by C.D. Osman, of all people, off the bench with 21 and 6. He was three of six, and that was on 10 shots. Nice, efficient line from um, C.D. Osmond. We had the Bulls beating the Clips in Chi-Town in overtime, 135 to 130. The Clips were led by Reggie Jackson, who had 34 and seven, an efficient 34, six of nine from three on 23 shots. 
Paul George had 22 on 20 shots, so not quite efficient coming back. And then the Bulls, DeMar DeRozan with another 50-burger, 50 and 6 on 26 shots. You just, you can't make this shit up. DeMar is flourishing. Would be a huge piece for them in the playoffs. And then the Jazz beating the Lakers, finally getting back on track in Utah, 122-109. to They were led by Donovan, who had 29 on 22 shots with 7 assists. It's not the most efficient game. And Westbrook had 24, 6, and 7 on 18 shots. The Jazz win. Give me a little bit of confidence here. You lose to Utah or to the Lakers without um, AD or LeBron. Yeah, that's tough. Moving into Friday, the Wizards waxing the Mavs. Wizards kind of playing some good ball of late. Um, you know, they're not going to make the play-in, sadly, but they are 6-4 and four in their last 10. I guess when you don't really play for much, you can just kind of let loose. Um, the Mavs were led by Luka with 36-7-6. Nice line from Luka. But the Mavs only shoot 28.9% from three. The Wizards shoot 51%, led by KCP. 35.6 of 11 from three. The Grizzlies beating the Suns in Memphis, 122 to 114. The John Moratless Grizz playing high-quality basketball. They're 8-2 in their last 10. The Suns were led by Devin Booker, who's been hot, Arizona desert hot, 41 points, 28 shots. And the Grizz were led by uh, um, Dylan Brooks, who's been back in the lineup, 30 points, 7 assists on 28 shots, though. Not very efficient. He's one of five from three. The Clippers beating the Bucks in Milwaukee, one thirty-five to one nine, one fifty-three to one nineteen. They scored hundred and fifty-three points, but of course, this was out without Giannis, without Middleton, without Holiday. So that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, the Clippers were led by Amir Kofi. Let me make sure I got his name right. Amir Kofi. There we go. Thirty-two seven and six. Big game for Kofi. And the Bucks were led by Jordan Nora, Louisville representing 28 points on 16 shots. The young guy's getting some minutes. Let's see. The Timberwolves beat the uh, Nuggets in Denver, 136-130. to 130. Again, this Team Wolves team, you never know. They're scrappy. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. But great win on the road. And they were led by Cat, who had 32-9-9 and, and nine on 18 shots, 4 of 7 from 3. The Nuggets were led by Nikola Jokic, who had 38, 19, and 8. And that was on 21 shots, 0 of 2 from 3. Uh, but the Timberwolves shooting 47.5% from 3, getting the dub. And then this is when the Lakers' playoff hopes were pretty much dead. As the Pelicans win in Crypto.com Arena. Still not used to that. 114 to 111. The Pellies led by CJ McCollum, 32 and 7. The Lakers led by LeBron James, 38-8. and eight, But it wasn't enough. The Lakers hopes slipping through their fingers at this point. Moving to Saturday, the Sixers blowing out the Hornets, 144-114. The Hornets don't play a lot of defense. Um, the Hornets are 6-4 in their last 10. Same as the Sixers, 6-4. Six the Hornets were led by Miles Bridges, who had 20 points. And the Sixers were led by Joel Embiid, 29-14-6. and six, A very efficient line for the big man in the victory. 
The Hawks beat the Nets in Atlanta 122 to 115 for a team trying to fight for the seven seed. Uh, surprising loss here. But KD did his best. He put up 55 and 7, 8 of 10 from three on 28 shots, putting the team on his back. Kyrie Irving, he put it up, not efficiently, but 31 and 6 on 32 shots. He was 7 of 4 from downtown. And the Hawks led by Ice Trey, 36, 10, and 6. 4 of 9 from 3. That was on 24 shots. Huge win for the Hawks. Imagine if they had John Collins, right? Maybe a healthy lineup. It's just weird for a team that was so hot in the playoffs last year, all the way down at the 9 seed. They're going to have to win two games probably to get the 8 seed. And then the Warriors beating the Jazz in Oakland. The Jazz just sliding away, sliding down the standings. Four and six in their last 10, choking 20-point leads. This game was brutal. They were up 20 points. Mike Conley with 26 on 18 shots, eight assists. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, 26 points on 19 shots. And then the Warriors were led by Clay Thompson, 36 points, eight of 17 from three. They ate up the big man switching, uh, getting their shooters in space. Tough loss for the Jazz. I'm pulling my hair out at this moment. Moving into Sunday, the Mavericks beating the Bucks in Milwaukee. This time, the Bucks had their starting lineup. Big win for Dallas. Brutal for the Jazz going for that four seed. Uh, but Dallas was led by, you already know, Luka Doncic, 32-15-8. Have a day, sir. The Bucks were led by Giannis, 28-10. The future of the NBA, those two players. Let's see. Uh, the Nuggets beating the Lakers in LA, eliminating their hopes, 129 to 118. The Nuggets were led by former MVP Nikola Jokic, 38, 18 and 6. Are you kidding me? On 22 shots, even though he's 0 of 3 from downtown. Will Barton with a nice 25 pointer and Aaron Gordon with 24 being involved. The Lake Show led by AD, who had 28, 9, and 8, just shy of a triple-double, but that was on 25 shots, and no LeBron James in this one. The Sixers beating Cleveland 112-108 on the road. Joel Embiid, 44-17. and 17. He's been hot of late, efficient lines, 3 of 6 from 3. And Cleveland led by Darius Garland, 23 points, but on 18 shots. Also on Saturday, the Miami Heat beating Toronto in Toronto, 114-109. Miami was led by Max Struess, been a huge role player for them. You know, they had put uh, Duncan Robinson on the bench and him in the starting lineup. He had 23 points on 10 shots, 7 of 9 from 3. Sheesh. They always find those guys. They develop them. They're just one of the best franchises in the NBA at developing players that nobody else wants. Then the Raptors, led by Fred Van Fleet, 29 points, 7 rebound or seven assists, and Pascal Siakam, 29-8-5. Tough loss for the Raps. Um, and the Clippers beating the Pelicans in L.A., 119-100, you know, battling for those final Western Conference standings. Uh, technically, the Pelicans are four games back, but hey, that, that, that's good moral victories. The Pelicans led by C.J. McCollum with only 19 points on 18 shots. 
uh, seven or six players on the Pelicans in double digits. And then the Clippers were led by, let's see. Wow, Marcus Morris led the team 22 points. They had two, four, six, seven players in double digits. Big win for the Clips. Cruising into this week on Monday, there was no games because the national championship. So on Tuesday, we had the Heat smoking the Hornets. Again, the Hornets don't like to play defense. 144 to 115. The Hornets were led by Miles Bridges, who had 29 and 6 efficiently on 16 shots. And Miami was led by um, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets, 27 and 8. But Tyler Harrell off the bench, 35 and 6, 6 of 10 from 3, 18 shots, 6th man of the year, please. And the Raptors beating Atlanta 118 to 108 in Toronto. Atlanta was led by Ice Trey, who had 26 points on 23 shots. Nice 15 assists, but that was 3 of 8 from 3. And Toronto was led by Siakam, 31, 13, and 6. This man is on fire. Milwaukee back on the winning track, beating Chicago in Chi-Town, 127 to 106. Brock Lopez, 28 and 7. And for Chicago, DeMar DeRozan, 40 and 6 on 26 shots. He's been rolling, putting the team on his back, even though they're 4 and 6 in their last 10. Tough loss for the Timberwolves at home to the Wizards, 132 to 114. The Wizards were led by Kristaps Porzingis, who had 25 and 8. Uh, Daniel Gafford with 24 and 12 off the bench. And the Timberwolves were led by Carl Anthony Towns, who had 26 and 10, but that was on 24 shots. The Jazz beating the Grizz in overtime. They should have wrapped it up, almost choked it out, but managed business in overtime. A very good and hot Grizz team, even without John Morant. The Grizz were led by Jaron Jackson, who had some clutch threes. He had 28 points. He kept throwing them up at the end of the game. Didn't work out. That was on 27 shots. He finished 3 of 10 from 3. But Trey Jones with 24 and Desmond Bain with 23 and 7. The Jazz were led by Rudy Frickin' Gobert, 22 and 21 with a block on eight shots. You know how he does. And Jordan Clarkson with 22 off the bench. Huge win for Utah. Don't want to slip into that six. Getting a little help as well. With the Timberwolves loss, they clinch a playoff spot. But then the Nuggets lose to the Spurs at home 116-97. to 97. The Spurs were led by Keldon Johnson who had 20-8. and eight. And... Devin Vassell, who also had 20 and 8. No DeJounte Murray either. The Nuggets had Nikola Jokic pop off for 41 and 7, but on 35 shots, he's been cold from three. One of five. The team shot 21% from three. Brutal loss for the Nuggets. They need the big man to get going from three. Probably doesn't help that you're missing elite scorers and MPJ and Jamal Murray to spread the court. And then the Suns. I think this was the official eliminator, beating the Lakers 121-110. The Suns were led by Devin Booker with 32-7. And And the Lakers were led by Westbrook, 28 points on 20 shots. No LeBron James. Anthony Davis with 21-13. What a dumpster fire for the Lakers. 
So tonight, games that matter. Technically, Mavericks-Pistons because the Jazz could slip into the four. Nets and Knicks. The Nets are battling. The Knicks are completely eliminated. I'm pretty sure, yep. The Hawks playing the Wizards as the Hawks are battling for position. Bulls Celtics, do the Celtics play their starters or not? The Jazz missing a few players, trying to keep the five seed, potentially go to the four. And then Suns and Clippers as the Clippers are jockeying for position as well. Not really, they're locked in. So are the Suns, so we'll see what that lineup looks like. Moving into Thursday, we got 76ers Raptors, Celtics Bucks, Grizzlies Nuggets. And the TNT game is Lakers-Warriors. Be interesting to see if anyone plays in either of those games for TNT. On Friday, you got Hawks and Heat, Hornets-Bulls, Suns versus Jazz. And then Saturday, Pelicans-Grizzlies, Warriors-Spurs. And to finish out on Sunday, Nets-Pacers, the Nets need the win. Grizzlies, Celtics, Bulls, Timberwolves, Spurs, Mavericks, Lakers, Nuggets, Warriors, Pelicans on TNT, and Jazz versus Blazers. And then we're talking playing, and then we're talking NBA playoffs. Go, Jazz, go. It's going to be a fun one. Anyone has a chance. I repeat, anybody in the NBA has a chance. Who's going to get hot? Who's going to win? I'll have my NBA playoff predictions next week. But to finish the college basketball season, we had the Final Four, Nova Nation, trying to shock the world and beat Kansas again without their second-best scorer, and they fell short. 65-81, to 81, they fought their hearts out, did their thing, but they were overmatched, they were undersized, and Kansas probably had the best offensive game they've had all season. Kansas shot 54% from three, 54%, 53.7% from the field. Nova shooting 38.6. The size definitely made a difference, but they shot a respectable 41% from three, 42%. They were led by uh, Colin Gillespie with 17 points on 11 shots. Brandon Slater stepped up with 16 and eight. He was four of seven from three. That was on 13 shots. I felt like he passed up on a lot of threes, but I was so proud of the six-year seniors, Jermaine Samuels, Colin Gillespie on the heart that they put out. You know, Daniels tried his best, 13 points on 14 shots. You know, if you add more to the lineup, does, does it really make a difference? Not when Kansas shoots like this. It's just when you're hot, you're hot, right? Villanova's won tournaments that way. So props to Kansas. McCormick doing work down low, 25 and nine. Obaji, 21 points. Six of seven from three. And these were some deep threes, NBA range threes. All I could do was shake my head. Villanova and Duke losing kind of cost me some money. A little bummed about it. It is what it is. But a blue bud final four wasn't going to go without a, a, a massive dramatic and without dramatic, dramatic fashion. I mean, we got the biggest rivalry in potentially all sports. And coming in, I didn't realize it was this close. This was the 100th game between Duke and North Carolina since Coach K was hired. Duke led the series 50-49. to With the North Carolina victory, they tie it up. And this is the first time they've ever played in the NCAA championship. You can't make this shit up. 
Well, North Carolina wins 81 to 77. And neither team was, you know, super efficient. They didn't shoot amazingly. But the real difference here was Caleb Love. 28 points on 20 shots, but big threes, managing the offense. RJ Davis with 18 and 7 on 13 shots. Manic with 11 or uh Baycott with 11 points, but 21 rebounds got hurt, still battled. Manic with 14 on four on 10 shots. And for Duke, Banchero, 20 and 10, played his heart out on 17 shots. Off the bench, uh, you know, pretty big su- surprise. Trevor Kills with 19. North Carolina's had a hot tournament. They battled. Their offense was high. They're scoring 80-plus points a night. Duke was in charge almost the entire game and let it slip. You, you know, that makes you sick if you're a Duke fan or Coach K. Sucks to go out like that. But it set up a doozy for North Carolina. Rock chalk on Monday. Number one versus number eight. The lowest seed to win an NCAA championship is an eight seed. So North Carolina tying that. And much like uh, Duke being in lead most of the game, Carolina was up 40 to 25 at half, looking like they were going to cruise to victory. Kansas had some nice halftime adjustments. They they changed the pace, they sped up the game. They let their guys move, their slashers slash. And it helped that North Carolina had one of the worst shooting games of the season. 21.7% from 3. You know, they hooked it up 23 times. They were trying. It just wasn't landing. They also shot 31% from the field. Caleb Love could not get a, you know, it wasn't going for him. He had enough go for him throughout the tournament, I guess. He had 13 points on 24 shots. He was one of eight from three. So that was the big storyline. RJ Davis struggled 15 points. Oh, five from three. That's on 17 shots. But I think a lot of this has to do with the size and the athleticism of Kansas. Manic had 13 and 13. Baycott playing on that injured ankle, 15 and 15 but on 13 shots for a big guy that's just not going to cut it. And Kansas had five players in double digits. Jeff Wilson with 15 and McCormick with 15 and 10 on 15 shots. So it wasn't pretty at all times, but the Kansas Jayhawks win a national championship. They've been a, a high seed for a long time. They've been battling. They finally get their wish. My brackets busted. I don't think a lot of people pick Kansas. But they live to see another day. Oscar Tashuibui gets the AP Player of the Year. And former St. Peter's head coach, no surprise, hired by his alumni. He finalizes a six-year deal to coach Seton Hall. Welcome to the Big East, coach. You're going to be in Nova's world now. I'm just kidding. Not really, though. What a tournament. Um... I've, you know, there was lots of chaos. You had the, the Cinderella and St. Peter's. You had some upset victories and eight seed making it to the championship. It somehow rolled out to be a blue blood final four. I had a good time. Every tournament though, it's like, you're almost like on a drug. You get this dopamine hit first weekend. It's games, 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 Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then there's less games. You're like missing that high and what's going on. Then you're down to the final four. You're trying to live. Like I still had Villanova, so still had something to live for. Then you go to the ship. Your team's not in it. It's just, it's a, it's a big crash. So I'm on the crash, but what a year it was. One shining moment. Cinderella stories. 
Every year you can't beat it. It's a it's my favorite sports time of the year besides the Super Bowl. So we had a week off of Supercross as well. I caught the the race in Seattle. I tried to anyways. It was a little too fucked up. Um, But with the week off, we have a Triple Crown event. Round 13 of 17. We're getting near the end in St. Louis. When we look at the points, things are interesting, right? Um, Christian Craig and Hunter Lawrence trying to battle it out. Hunter Lawrence trying to stay ahead of Michael Moseman for third. He's four points ahead. In the 450, Tomac's probably going to run away with the lead. You have a shitty last four races, though. Who knows? Um, Anderson and Barsha are five points away. Malcolm Stewart's one point away from Barsha, six away from Stewart. Lots of racing to be had. The defending champion, Cooper Webb, right in the mix at 208. He's trying to hit the podium. It's going to be fun. Nothing like a Triple Crown event. I'm going to talk a little bit of, a little bit about the NFL, break down some NFL news, and then we're going to talk about MLB, and I'm giving you my season predictions. Baseball's different. I love it. It was my favorite sport as a kid. You know, I'm a huge fan. I got my Trout jersey on. As an Angels fan, you cannot help but be excited. You get to watch the most mesmerizing players in the sport on your team every single day. They start with the Astros. We get a good measuring stick. I got 30 season ticket games in Seattle. I got tickets to every single Angel game there is. I can't wait. But we're going to talk a little NFL since there isn't major storylines and then get into it. You know, the NFL without, or the MLB without the salary caps, a little easier to predict. So in the NFL, huge draft trade, huge, huge trade. Love it. The Eagles trade picks 16 and 19 and 194 of this year's draft to the Saints for picks 18, 101, 237, and a 2023rd first and 2024th second. So they gave up two first-round picks, pretty high level, to get a first-round pick in between, but also an option for a quarterback next year in the first round. The Bills extend Stephon Diggs four-year, $104 million with 70 guaranteed. Clearly, you know, that was uh, that was a byproduct of all these paydays. Like, Stephon Diggs was the 14th paid receiver, highest paid receiver, I think. They had to change it up a little bit. I'm sure his agent had made some phone calls right away. Whitney Merciless is officially retired from the NFL. What a beast he was. Had some great years. Frank Gore officially retiring. He's going to retire with the 49ers where he belongs. I mean, this guy is a different breed. This is one of the few running backs like Adrian Peterson, him, who could play the, the position for so long and be that productive. Very, very impressive. The Texans signed Marlon Mack, a guy who's played at a very high level, hurt his Achilles, right? Is still young, still has potential, uh, but he, you got to play for Houston. So we'll see how that, that works out. Kaepernick doing some, some scouting sessions, doing some throws for some scouts. He said he's willing to take a backup position. Same song and dance. I don't expect too much about this uh, uh, from this, but you know, still, still cool that he's in shape doing his thing. The Steelers re-signed Carl Joseph. That's a depth move for safety, as they still don't have a starting safety outside of Minka. He does have experience, though. Carl Joseph's been around. Big shocker: Bobby Wagner finds a squad and lands in L.A. in SoFi with the Super Bowl champion. 
LA Rams, five-year, $50 million at 30 years old. That is a middle linebacker. You do not see that happening. I mean, I know he's older than 30. I think he's 31. He might even be 32. 31 years old in June, 32. $50 million. That's a risky one. The Rams like the risk. They got the ship. They got in some reward. They're going to try to keep it going. They're all in. They have no picks anyways. Patrick Peterson back with the Vikings on a one-year contract. Kind of a shocker here. Bruce Arians retiring after the Tom Brady reunion. But he wants to hand the keys, give Todd Bowles a good situation. We get another black head coach, which is great for the league. You love to see it. Todd Bowles, a very well good, a very well versed coach, really done well as a DC. Replaces him and moves into a front office role. Uh, while Bruce Arians moves into a front office role, and the Bucks end up giving him a five year deal. Bravo, bravo! What a just a, a scholar of Arians, all the things he's done for the sport. Battled through health. Getting Todd Bowles, quite the situation. Seems like a perfect fit, Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay, post-pre-Tom Brady, and I think Arian saw that. The Bucks also re-signed running back Giovanni Bernard to a one-year deal. They lost Ronald Jones. Got to keep some back depth. The Dolphins making some power moves. They keep going. They sign X, probably one of the best corners in the league. Xavier Howard do a five-year, $50 million deal. The most guaranteed money for a quarterback in NFL history. Well-deserved. And then they trade Devontae Parker for a fifth-round pick to the Patriots for a third. So Devontae Parker and a fifth for a third. Why would you trade to the Patriots? You've been looking up to them for years. You helped them get better. You're telling me no other team is willing to give up a third for Devontae Parker? I bet you, you know, I don't know about the Steelers, but if I'm the Steelers front office, I'm considering that. To the Patriots? This is why you don't win games. Devontae Parker is 29 years old. He isn't just a speedster receiver as your other guys are. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. If I was a Dolphins fan, I'd be sick. Watch Devontae Parker's scorch. Well, I guess with the Patriots receiving core, he'll be on Xavier Howard most of the game. So we'll see. But it's just shocking, man. And then to round out the NFL news, we have the Jets releasing tight end Ryan Griffin. He can find a new place. But baseball opening day is tomorrow, and I can't wait. New rules, new rules. We got a, we got an extra play or some extra teams in the playoffs, a 12-team playoffs. We have all six division winners earning playoff berths. Not all will get the advantage of rest as they currently enjoy as the first round will be a best of three series. So only the division winners and the two best records will receive first round buys with the remaining division winners and three wild card meetings and a best of three wild card situation. Situation. So one team from each, you know, ALNL gets an extra play in seed, but I, I wish it would have been like 14 maybe even 16 teams. It is what it is. Baseball is different, right? No salary cap. The same team spend. They get the players. It gets old a little bit. But there were some moves. The Tigers getting Austin Meadows from the Padres. The Tigers trying to compete in the AL Central. 
The Yankees acquired David McKay from the Rays. They need all the arms they can get to try to compete in a very, very, very tough AL East. Some PED suspensions. These guys are blacklisted now forever. Richard Rodriguez had some potential. Danny Santana, very versatile player. Pedro Severino and Jose Rondon, 80 games for PEDs. Sorry about it. The Dodgers trying to make some moves. They trade Craig Kimbrell to the um, the Braves. Trade Craig Kimbrell to the Dodgers for AJ Pollock. I just don't see how they think Craig Kimbrell is an up upgrade over Kenley Jansen. Maybe they're just hoping it works. They see the decline in Jansen, hoping Craig's got some left. But AJ Pollock, you know, he's healthy. He's a quality outfielder. Big move for the Braves. Another at bat. Uh, they're loaded. The Guardians, with all the things that they've done, the players they've gotten rid of, they have some high-level talent. They're signing them. They have a shit ton of prospects, and maybe they're making trades. Maybe they're scheming some stuff up. We're unsure. Their payroll is really low this year. But they extend Emmanuel Clace, the uh, the closer, to a five-year $20 million deal. And Jose Ramirez getting a five-year $124 million deal. I saw the Padres were trying to acquire him. I'm happy he's staying in Cleveland. He will wear a Guardian uniform after all. Um, interested to see what that team's schematically prepping for, though. Jacob deGrom shut down with a stress reaction to his scapula. It's like a shoulder blade. Brutal news for the Mets, right? This is a easy, bona fide Cy Young contender. Um, you know, they're stacking up the team to compete, try to win a, chi- a ship. And uh, he's going to be shut down for at least four weeks before he's re-examinated. I would be surprised if he plays before All-Star break at this point. Wild news as an Angel fan, the Angels DFA Justin Upton before final rosters. They're bringing in the kids, Adele and Marsh, into the Major League roster. No Justin Upton, who just came off a six-RBI game, a two-run home run, and a grand salami. It is spring training. Uh, Perry's just sick of the big contract, older outfielders. He gets to move on. He'll probably end up in the Yankees or somewhere and have a postseason potential. So it might be a win-win. I'm a little unsure. I would have liked to see him. He was hot before that toe injury, but you know, you're injured. Um, the other guys are going to be better defensively. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It was a shock. I think all of us as angels fans are just shocked. Like, holy shit, that just happened. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I, I wish the best for Justin Upton, a player I've always enjoyed watching his whole career. The White Sox getting beat with some bad news. Garrett Crochet to have Tommy John. And Lance Lynn shut down for four weeks after a slight tear in his right knee tendon. Four weeks, again, leads to recovery. Is he healthy? Maybe not until All-Star break. Brutal loss for the, the White Sox. So they end up signing veteran pitcher Johnny Cueto add to some depth, but they're still a stacked offense. They still have high-quality p- pitching. I, I I really, really like Luis Giolito. Drafted him in my fantasy squad. And then the Padres trade prospects for Sean Manea, getting the big left arm out of Oakland. A very highly touted guy, a workhorse, like a lot of those Oakland pitchers, so they add to their rotation. The Cardinals sign Harrison Bader to a two-year, $10.4 million deal. And the MLB allows anti-sign-stealing technology in the MLB regular season. I watched this in the Angels spring training games. It's basically like an arm sleeve that you hit buttons that make noise that relay the pitching. 
Um, during the Angel Spring training game a couple times, Jose Suarez couldn't hear it, so he had to go to the old uh, catching signs, right? They, they're worried about sign stealing, so they're trying to avoid that. I like the idea. The commentators kind of nailed it. It also helps with pace of play. You don't have to go through like 10 fake you know, signals to give one signal. You just hit the wristband. We'll see how that works out, but I'm a proponent for it. You know, change is always can be scary, but I'm all for it. Now, quickly, I'll just give you guys some insight to my fantasy teams, right? I always like to do that. Didn't have a very good football season. Basketball season, I went through a, a crazy amount of injuries, was just screwed. I had John Morant get out towards the end of the season. I had uh, Jared Allen out. John Collins out for a long time. Brock Lopez never hardly played until the end of the season. So fantasy basketball didn't shake out. I'm usually always a contender there. But I have two points leagues. In this league, I got Yasmani Grandal, Vlad Guerrero Jr., number one overall. It was hard for me not to pick Trout. Uh, Jose Polanco, Eduardo Escobar, Tim Anderson, Eddie Rosario, Josh Bell, Jorge Soler, Corey Seager, Jaimir Candelario, Kiki Hernandez, uh, Giolito, Otani, Verlander, Frankie Valdez, Iglesias. Got to go with the closer you already know. Edwin Diaz, Jake McGee, Paul Sewald, Drew Steckenreiter, um, Sandoval for the Angels, Alex Cobb, throw 97. He might be the sneakiest pick I got. Jacob DeGrom, I'm going to put him on the IL once he's a sign and pick someone else up. Alex Colomb and Taiwan Walker. You tell me. That looks like it seems pretty stacked to me. And the other team, I got Contreras, Riley, Austin Riley, Altuve, Chris Taylor, Tim Anderson, Tommy Edmond, Mike Trout, Jordan Bell, Soler, Ian Happ, Escobar again, Fletcher, Jonathan Shoup, Kiki, Gary Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara, Otani as a pitcher. Um... Edwin Diaz, Ryan Presley, Garcia from the Strohs, John Gray, Patrick Sandoval again, Chris Flexen, Seawald, Alex Colomb, and Taiwan Walker. I'm fired up. Again, opening day tomorrow. Let's go. And because I got season tickets, I got the NFL Sunday ticket version of MLB. So I get to watch any game whenever I want from anywhere. Anyways, prediction time. I do not go game by game and predict the records of the teams. There is way too many games to do that and even have a thought of, you know, what the hell is going to happen. When I do my predictions in baseball, there's a few things that matter to me. Veteran experience for a contending team, real solid pitching, top of the line pitching, right? You got to have good a bullpen as well. But health has a huge, huge thing with baseball. It's a long season. They're on planes a lot. There's a lot of travel. The healthy team usually comes out. In the AL East, I have it. Blue Jays winning the, the division. The young guns mixed with some big offseason acquisitions. I think they're ready. I have Yankees second, Rays third, Boston four, Orioles five. When we look at this division, it's anyone's race in those top four teams. I just think Toronto's well so well-rounded on both sides of the ball. The Yankees have the star potential. They hit bombs. They get the home field advantage for home runs. They just have a lot of older guys and injuries. I, I just feel like it's going to catch up to them. The Rays, as much young talent as they have as well, I don't feel like they're as good without glass now. I think having that top-of-the-line starter makes a huge difference for them. And the Red Sox, I feel like, are just not quite as complete as these other teams. 
I think Devers could have like an MVP type season. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And then clearly Baltimore is just Baltimoreing right now at the bottom. And my Angel AL West, call me a homer, but I got Astros winning, Angels second, making the playoffs. Mariners third. I think Mariners and Angels are going to be very similar this season, very close records. The head-to-head will probably be very important. Um, sadly, the Angels would have been in Seattle Tuesday and uh, Monday and Tuesday. Would have already seen them. Uh, but because of the lockout, they had some doubleheaders scheduled, and I don't get to see them in person till June. Sucks to suck. Uh, but Astros, Angels, Mariners, Texas, and Oakland. I think Texas has a pretty decent record. I do like Corey Seager. I like some of the things they got, but they're not as good as the Astros, Angels, and Mariners. In the AL Central, I have White Sox, Tigers, Royals, Guardians, and then Twins. Yes, I have the Twins on the bottom of the division. Am I surprised by that? I am. I also had the Twins making the playoffs last year, and they completely tanked. I think they're missing some arms. I think their offense is very injury-prone. But if all of those guys offensively are healthy, imagine Buxton, imagine Correa, imagine those, those guys, Kepler, all doing their thing. They're not going to finish in the bottom. But Cleveland, they still got Bieber. They still got Ramirez. They still have some pieces. I think they'll put out together some wins. I think some of the youth in Kansas City will start to shine. Their arms will be improved. They have a lot of young arms in that rotation. And Detroit's been playing some ball. They have some good pieces. I like some of the pieces. Candelario, Shoup having huge seasons that I think will carry over this year. And some of those young arms in the rotation, I think, are going to start to shine as well. And obviously, the White Sox are yoked and stacked, and we're not surprised. Obviously, losing Lynn already, um, losing Crochet, like, you know, they're getting hit. But uh, a healthy Tim Anderson, Yohan Mankata, Jose Abreu, I mean, let's go. And the NL, in the NL Central, I have Brewers, Cardinals, Reds, Cubs, Pittsburgh. Milwaukee is so stout on the offensive or on the um, pitching side. Their offense only has to be subpar, and they have some names. Uh, St. Louis, you know, it's it's a fun storyline. Wainwright, Yachty, and Pujols one more time. Uh, I hope Pujols has some big moments. I hope he gets over 700. Uh, but I don't think they could compete with Milwaukee quite. I think it's going to be close. And then I think Cincinnati and Chicago was a very close comparison, but I liked what uh, Cincinnati had offensively more than Chicago. And then the Pittsburgh, kind of like the Orioles, it's, it's Pittsburgh. And the NL East, right? This is the this is the one in the NL that's going to be wild. I have Braves, Phillies, Mets, Marlins, Nationals. I said it last year. I'm really into the Miami team and what they're building, but I think they're a year away. I think a year away, and then some of the older dudes in these other teams, they'll, they'll be able to compete for a, a playoff spot. The Mets are just very risky, in my opinion. They already have the DeGrom issue. They already have Scherzer issue. There's just a lot of issue. Or wait, not Scherzer. Let's see. Who else was hurt? It was DeGrom. And so many things happening, right? All these free agents, the new things, the spring training. Shit, it's hard to keep up. Let's see. Yeah, Scherzer. Jesus. Why was I thinking Scherzer is still on the Dodgers? So Scherzer and DeGrom already hurt. Those are like the two most important pieces. Taiwan Walker battling injuries just doesn't look good to start the season. So that's why I think the Braves and Phillies will be healthier. They're very well-rounded. The Phillies making some big adjustments. Uh, Pretty solid pitching at this point. So that's where I have it. In the NL West, I got Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Rockies, Arizona. Arizona's like Pittsburgh and Baltimore. It's Arizona. 
Colorado dumped a lot. Why Chris Bryant signed there? You ask me, or you tell me. The Padres without Tatis to start the year. They did add Manea. That was a huge move. But I still like the veteran youth core of the Giants. And the Dodgers are so stacked, it's hard to not pick them at the top of the division. So when it comes to the playoffs, I have uh, the two by teams as Dodgers and White Sox. I have the teams making the playoffs, the Astros and Angels in the West, the Yankees, Rays, and Blue Jays in the East. In the NL, I have the two teams with the bye is Dodgers and Braves. I have Brewers in the Central making the playoffs, the only team. I have the NL East sporting the Mets, Phillies, and Braves. In the NL West, I have the the Giants and Dodgers. I have the Padres missing the playoffs. So the way it sets up, I have Houston taking on the Angels in the wild card. I have the Angels winning. Um, As long as Noah Syndergaard can pitch to what he's looked like late, get that velocity up. You think of a three-game wild card, Otani, Thor, and whoever else has been pitching the best, probably Sandoval, if that was my guess. I like those odds in a three-game wild card versus older Verlander. After a full season of recovery, plus some of the young arms that are up and down, I like the talent. Don't get me wrong. But hey, if the Angels can pitch, that offense is deadly, right? Rendon, Trout, and Otani stay healthy. I got them beating the Astros in the wild card. I have the Yankees and Rays in the wild card with the Yankees winning here. Can Glass now come back? Could he come back healthy? Potentially. But I'm going to bet on Garrett Cole and the Yankees in a three-game. In the NL, I have the Brewers taking on the Phillies, and I have the Phillies winning. Their pitching is really going to have to pull through. I mean, when we look at it. The Phillies' top three pitchers will most likely be. So we already know the three um, for the Brewers. That's why they win so many games. You clearly have Nola, Zach Wheeler, so maybe it's Zach Eflin, Kyle Gibson, Ranger Suarez. But, I mean, they got JT Realmuto, Reese Hoskins, Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius, Kyle Schwerber, Abdul Herrera, Bryce Harper. They added Nick Castellanos. That offense was really what differentiated themselves to me compared to Milwaukee's offense. Pitching wins in the playoffs. So, you know, that was a tough decision. <coughs> and I might regret <coughs> picking that. Jeez. Your boy's got to hydrate. You know, I'm just talking shop. It's going to be nice moving to Arizona, getting some MMA like-minded people, get some other people on, build this little community, get this shit going. You know what I'm talking about? In the divisional. Well, I guess, sorry, I skipped the other one. The Giants versus the Mets in the wild card. I got the Giants taking that on. The Mets are going to be tough to beat if Scherzer... And DeGrom are healthy in the playoffs. I just am not betting on that at this point. The Giants are very well-rounded. They showed that last year. The Giants move on. Which would set us up versus Blue Jays Angels. Vlad Guerrero Jr. against the Angels. Hate to see it. I have the Blue Jays moving on. They are a very complete squad. White Sox versus Yankees. I got the White Sox moving on. In the NL, Braves versus Phillies. A little divisional battle. I got the Braves moving on. They're pretty well-rounded, even without Freddie. Dodgers versus Giants. The Dodgers have so much talent. They added so many names. I'm going with the Dodgers. 
Got the Dodgers beating the Braves and the Blue Jays beating the White Sox. At least we get some new blood in the AL, so to speak. And I have the Blue Jays winning the World Series versus the Dodgers. You know, I've seen a lot of the predictions the past few days. I did this uh, on Monday, but I've seen a lot of the other ones. A lot of the same stuff, right? A lot of people have the Padres in. Uh, maybe they have the Mariners in. Maybe they have the Cardinals in. A few different things going on. Maybe the Rays further. But, you know, baseball, it's just a little bit more predictable. But health is a huge piece here. I have the AL MVP as Shohei. I don't see if Shohei plays well as a pitcher and a batter, how anyone could beat him in this award, unless the voters are just get sick of him. But in the second year, I don't think that's possible. I cashed out on that MVP bet last year. Don't get to do it. I think he's like plus 400 or something crazy as a uh, MVP final or MVP winner now. I have the NL MVP as Juan Soto. The AL Rookie of the Year, J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez here in Seattle. I picked this last year. It bit me in the ass, but I'm doing it again. The NL uh, Rookie of the Year is Sixto Sanchez. This kid's going to be nasty if healthy. And then I have the AL Cy Young as Garrett Cole and the NL Cy Young, Corbin Burns. Are you guys ready for some baseball? Because I sure am. It's a game of chess, strategy. It's America's pastime. And all of you, I guarantee you have a day at the ballpark. You have a goddamn good time. This is the most uh, action-packed, watchable show or watchable game on TV. Potentially not. I like to multitask when watching baseball half the time, unless the Angels are on a, on a heater. But you can't beat some baseball in the summer. You really can't. Other, wor- other things around the sports world, um, Adrian Wojnkowski and um, Adam Schefter extended five years by ESPN. More Woj bombs and breaking Schefter news to come. You know, I'm sure they had a ton of offers, but they stand with ESPN. And for the World Cup, the final CONCACAF games, USA is now in the Group B in the World Club, in the World Cup, including England, Iran, and either Wales or Scotland or Ukraine. They have to play some eliminators. After losing to Panama 0-2, they just can't win there for some reason. That's all going to be happening. USA, England, Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving weekend has big-time college football. You got the World Cup. You got NFL. It's going to be quite the holiday season. And in an exciting news, Tiger potentially back, not completely finalized, but it looks like Tiger Woods is going to play in the Masters. Supposedly, there's some nasty weather coming in. Hey, I'm tuning in when Tiger's back. It's like Del Earnhardt and NASCAR. You can't beat it. Can't beat it. But that's episode 77. Don't forget, Fueled Supplements. Check them out. You're buying subs. Help small business. And uh, I'm excited to see how UFC 273 breaks down. We'll catch you guys next week.